Good morning. My name is Callie, and I will be reading our scripture this morning as a continuation of our worship. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 20, verses 20 through 34, or it'll be on the screen for you to follow along as I read. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 34. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated and I'll pray. God, I thank you again that every week we get to come here and hear from your truth. Your word is truth. Um, I just thank you for the anchor, the foundation, the plumb line that it is in our lives. Um, and I just pray that we would be humble recipients of what you have for us in your word this morning. Um, I pray that we would see you in truth um, and understand the way of being a disciple of you, Jesus. I pray that you'd go before Mike, um, give him clarity of thought and clarity of words, and that our hearts would be receptive. Um, to how you would like to work in our hearts this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Callie. Uh, how are we, family? Good. Good, good. If you're a guest, uh, welcome. My name is Mike. We're uh, glad to be together this morning, getting to gather, worship Jesus, open scripture together. Uh, as has obviously been read, we are in Matthew 20, uh, making our way here um, through verses 20 through 34, uh, we'll also kind of backtrack a little bit into what we have already seen um, as well. I want to start off with this, though. Uh, what do you hope to accomplish in life? Just, just curious. Think to yourself. What, what do you hope to accomplish in life? Or I'll ask this. Do you have ambitions to build something? Like, how many of you think you're kind of ambitious people? You're like, I don't know if I can raise my hand. You can. It's okay. How many, some of you, you might be the people, you're like, you want to leave a mark, right? Or like a legacy of some sort. Like how many of you have thought through that concept, like the whole concept of leaving a legacy? I think that's, I think that's a good concept for us to, to think through. Uh, to be influential, to make a difference in some way, shape, or form. Um, what kind of ambitions do you have? I have kind of a funny story about ambition. You guys want to hear it? Okay. I thought you would. <laughs> so earlier this week, um, I got home, and Florence, my daughter, I don't know, I don't know what got into her. I was, I was just doing the dishes, and she turned to me, and she said, Dad, lift me up. And in her mind, uh, it was this, like, this dance move. Right? I, think it's, I think it's dirty dancing, which she hasn't seen, just so you know. Uh, but it's that whole move where the dude lifts up the girl above, right? That move. And uh, so she runs, 
And she just jumps into my arms, and I lift up Florence, and it was just cute and adorable. What happened next, though, we're not sure about. Um, It was exciting. It was fun. Abby turned to me, and she said, Michael, get ready. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yes, this is exciting. We're going to do this and show Florence what we're made of, right? And so Abby was instructing me with what she was going to do. And she said, I'm going to put my hands on your shoulders. And I was like, all right, great. We're going to do this. You do that. I'm going to lift and it's going to be awesome. And it was. <laughs> Abby ran and she was in socks. Um, and so she like slipped into me, hit my shoulders. I went to lift her and more like pushed her. And then she just landed square on her butt. <laughs> square. To where now she can't exactly sit straight. She has to <laughs> it's bad. Anyways, all of that, it's this story of ambition. Right? Maybe you have ambitions, men, to lift your wives over your heads. That is now our, our, our resolution for 2023. <laughs> By the end of next year, that is, that is our goal. We're going to accomplish it. No, for some though, right, some of us in here, we might, I think to some degree, there's some desire to leave some sort of dent, some sort of mark, might be on a floor, might be in the world in general, right? There's ambition that we have in our lives to do something. Um, but I think we, how, how, how do we handle this, right, as followers of Jesus, how are we supposed to handle ambitions to do good, right? Especially, especially in light of these texts that we have been working through in, in the Gospels, right? We've, we've been working through this, this, this idea, this reality that the kingdom, Jesus has taught us, is inherited by those who are like children, right? And so, like, Jesus just kind of, by using that example, just kind of pushes aside this idea of ambition as we commonly understand it because he says that the kingdom is inherited by those who are utterly helpless, those who haven't built a darn thing. Right? That's the picture that he's giving us. And then he, he says that it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom apart from this like miraculous, transformative work of God. Something, something big has to happen. And so, you know, a lot of us, like, we have ambitions around building our own little kingdom and getting wealth and those kinds of, not bad things, but, but Jesus says, that's not how you're getting into the kingdom. Like, you can, you can have a fat bank account. That's not going to get you into the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom, then he tells us, is like a vineyard, right? The master invites workers into it, and, and he teaches us that everyone gets paid the same regardless of whether they work 12 hours or one hour. Well, that just kind of deflates ambition, right? Like, what, what, are, we, what are we doing then? Right? And then? And then today, we have this emphatic teaching on the kingdom being about service to the most humiliating degree possible, the cross. Right, this is Jesus' example of, of kingdom ambition. So let's be honest. We have a difficult time navigating ambition as disciples of Jesus, I think we struggle with understanding, knowing what, it, what does it look like to, to live and to do things well in this world? And, and what's the balance or what's the line? Where do we cross over into just being worldly or being kingdom-oriented, right? Because we've been told that, well, if we, if we, if we do too well, right, if we do too well, then, then it's just a, a worldly mentality, Oh, you're just pursuing worldly things and you need to stop it and, and focus more on Jesus. But then we're like, well, what's the other alternative? Just sell everything and not have anything at all? That doesn't seem very practical as well. So what is this life for us to look like as followers of Jesus? What do we do? What does it look like to live a service-oriented life in the kingdom? Well, in our text today, Jesus challenges our ambitions for the kingdom, not doing away with them, but reorienting them in the way of the cross and the resurrection. And so that's what, that's what we're going to see in the trajectory of our, our time together this morning. So we have three points. Number one, we're going to look at the beauty of ambition. 
Number two, we're going to look at the dark side of ambition. And then number three, we're going to look at the reorientation of ambition. Okay? So number one, the beauty of ambition. The beauty of ambition. Uh, so the dictionary defines ambition like this. It is a strong desire to do or achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. Now, how many of us would hear that and say, well, that, that's a bad thing? Not, not any of us, I don't think. I, th- I, th- I think we would hear that and say, no, that, that, sounds, that sounds pretty good. That sounds like a good way to live life. And, and I think it is as well. And I think we need to start this morning by saying that it is not wrong to be ambitious. It is, it is not wrong to have big hopes, dreams, to have a desire to leave a mark, a legacy of some way, shape, or form, to, to even to build wealth. Like, these aren't bad, wrong things in and of themselves. Right? It is not wrong to be great. The reality of the story of Scripture is that God has actually created us to be ambitious. So just think of the initial creation command in Genesis 1 and 2. God tells the humans to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, that is, steward over all plants and animals. I don't know about you, but that sounds incredibly ambitious to me. Right? God places humans in this beautiful space, and he says, now make the rest of everything look like this space. That, that sounds to me like you're going to need to have a strong desire to do or achieve something, and it was going to require determination and hard work. Like, they were going to have to get after it. See, God created us. God has designed us to be ambitious people, to, to, be, to be co-creators with him. And, and we know this. We know that there are few things more enjoyable in life than to watch humans do something well. Right? Um, I, I, you know, athletes often come to my mind. I have, I have a confession. I watched soccer yesterday. <laughs> if you're a guest with us, it's an ongoing joke. Soccer. Anyways, I watched it. The second part of that confession is I kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> I still have really good jokes, though. Really good jokes. You want to hear one? Um, I didn't know that the World Cup was an art competition. Because <laughs> I keep going to look for scores, and all it says is draw. Come on. Yes, thank you. Sorry, total, total tangent. I told someone else yesterday that I had, I had watched soccer, and they were like, well, you watched, you watched the U.S. They're like, that is not, that is not giving like, credit to what soccer can look like, which was hilarious. Uh, but he, he, he just he started going on and into like, the beauty and art of this sport. Like, he, he was just he was enthralled with it. Like, if, this picture of like, if you play well, if you watch a team play well, it's, it's really incredible to watch them work together. We've, we've all watched the Olympics, right? And how many of us have been just absolutely amazed at Olympic athletes? Right? They're, they're incredible, and they're filled with ambition and this ability to do things well. Uh, we, we, are, we are designed to be creative. We are designed to build. We are designed to create order. Yesterday, uh, we went to my, my son, my oldest son, had a robotics competition. And it was, in, it was just incredible and fun to watch. Like, uh, I never imagined that I'd be watching a robotics competition, for one thing. But there we were, watching all of these kids who, who had gotten together and were able to build robots and, and program them and design them and just tell them what to do, and then leave their hands off of it and watch them do it. It was, it was really neat to just watch this whole thing come together. We, after, in the afternoon, we went to a birthday party, and it was a bunch of littler kids, and they were drawing. They were doing art. They were doing art. And it was just, it was beautiful to watch these little kids. Like, I mean, you know, they weren't like masterpieces or anything like that, but it was still just a joy to watch these little kids try to do their best as artists, as designers, as creators, 
And not a single of us parents were like, knock it off, you're doing too good. Draw worse, right? I didn't, I didn't you know, I, didn't, I wasn't hoping for my, my, my son to lose in his robotics competition. No, I wanted him to win. I was like, who's in first place? Show me their robot, I'll take care of it. <laughs> God has created us to be an ambitious people. Life is boring without it. Right? And here's the thing, though. Ambition often starts off well. Right? Notice in our text the mother's approach to Jesus in verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Right? This, is, this is a beautiful approach. This is a beautiful beginning. She is, she is eager, she is ambitious, she wants something, and she goes to Jesus for it. And not only does she go to Jesus for it, but she, she drops to her knees. She, and it's, this, it's, it's a posture of, of, uh, of reverence and worship as she, she kneels before her Lord and her King. Ambition often starts off well. I think it often starts off well-meaning, well-directed, but the problem is that without noticing it, our ambitions easily get off track, which is point number two, the dark side of ambition, the dark side of ambition. Look at the, the text, and let's just hear what is said again in verse 21. He said to her, what do you want? I don't know what his tone was like. Um, probably wasn't like what I just did, but <laughs> what do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant and angry, is the idea there, at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right, so the text, the text starts off beautifully as this mother goes before Jesus and kneels and has a request, Jesus says, what do you want? And she, she goes, and then the text just kind of goes downhill from there. Right? And so ambition easily gets off track. Uh, just a little bit of background here. What we have going on is the mother here is Salome, is her name. So we know of Salome from Mark chapter 15. Uh, this is Mary's sister. So this is Jesus' aunt. James and John are the sons of Zebedee. They would be Jesus' cousins. Yeah? Uh, Jesus is familiar with these two guys, James and John. In Mark chapter 3, uh, Jesus gives them the nickname Sons of Thunder, which is really cool. Like if I had a nickname, I'd want it to be Sons of Thunder. Um, but it, it's an indicator of what kind of people these are. And so I, I think what we have going on with, with this family is they're just, they're an ambitious family, right? The, in, in Mark chapter three, when Jesus names them the sons of thunder, he's, he's kind of uh, uh, going off of Zebedee, that's the, their, their dad. And, and so there's, there's a connection there to their father. And then here we have this connection to their, to their mother. So you just have this, this picture of this entire family being an incredibly ambitious family, and then their request here is specifically a reference back to chapter 19, verses 28 through 29, right? Uh, back, th back there, I'll just read it really quick. Uh, Peter had asked, uh, or he had said, see, we left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And so this is what they're going after. Right? This, is, this is what they want to have confirmed for them. And this is what their mother wants for them as well. Um, it's possible and actually likely 
Interestingly enough, that most scholars think this at least, from what I read, that James and John put their mom up to this, uh, which is just, I don't know, it's just interesting. Uh, and, that, and that comes because if you cross-reference uh, this text with Mark chapter 10, Mark uh, doesn't bring the mother into this. It's just James and John who ask the question. Uh, and then notice here in this text that the only role that the mom has in the text is asking the question. Then she just kind of drops off the scene, and Jesus' response is to James and John. Right? His response is not necessarily to the mother as much as it is to the boys or to the men. Right? But what Jesus does here is he, he makes it clear to them that they don't know what they're asking for. Right? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't rebuke them necessarily. He doesn't say like, oh, you can't, you can't ask for that. You, you need to like, calm down, guys. Calm down, family. This is too much. He just, he just kind of simply says, no, you don't, you're, you're not aware fully of what it is that you are asking for. Because they're seeking out a kingdom of power and coercion. Right? It, 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 like, it should astonish us to some degree that the disciples at this point are still not clear on what the kingdom is like. Like Jesus, is, he's about to enter into his final week of life. So we're, we're at the tail end of this three-year time period that the disciples have been with Jesus almost constantly night and day. And yet they're still like, mm, power and coercion, that's what we want. We want to put Rome to an end. Jesus, can we sit at your right and left hand and do that with you? And so this is, this is the kingdom that they're after. But we know, because this is what we've been working through, that God's kingdom is not one of power and coercion, right? So I think we have to ask the question here then, what is, what is it that's off? And where does ambition go sideways, right? Like what, what happened? What got them off course? Well, when ambition turns in on ourselves, and becomes about building our own kingdoms and not partnering with God and what he is doing, that's when ambition goes off course. So Jesus isn't correcting their ambition. He's not correcting their desire. He's not saying even that their question is wrong. They're just unaware of what it's supposed to play out like. And so we just get this practical picture then for ourselves to understand that that we can know that ambition goes sideways when it becomes solely about us building what we want for our purpose, for our glory, for our name, and not God's. Uh, Second, we see in the text uh, that ambition goes sideways when we believe that coercion is the best tactic. Like, so if, if whatever it is that you're trying to build in your life is, is being accomplished primarily through means of coercion or some form of power, then you know that you've gone sideways. Like, you know that you've gone off course. And Jesus uses the Gentiles as an illustration for this there. He says that, uh, that um, oh, I can't see it. There it is, verse 25. But Jesus called to him and said, called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. In other words, Jesus is saying that the way of the kingdom is not a way of coercion. Uh, I like the, the CSB, it uses the word there, it uses the word tyrant. That, that the way that we go about getting things is not to be tyrannical or powerful or dominating. Jesus says that's opposite of the way of the kingdom. Right? And what this, because what this often leads to is, uh, it leads to this kind of mentality, right, of, of believing that we need to live lives of urgency because that's what God expects and that he's in trouble without us. Right? Just so we're clear, and we'll talk about this more later, God's not in trouble without us. And then the text moves on, and what we see in ambition going sideways is just an increasing hostility and judgment toward those who are not ambitious enough. Right. So you see, this, you see this, this tension that takes place then between the disciples, where you have James and John who are vying for power and position, 
and the other 10 become indignant. They become angry at the disciples. We're not 100% sure why, whether it was because of the question that they asked or if it's because they want the position of power themselves, Uh, or it likely could be a combination of, of the two. Either way, ambition in the whole picture here has gone sideways, and then the result of, the, uh, the result of that is, is this increasing hostility and judgment. This also takes us back to our text last week, uh, where you see this picture of like a spiritual elitism. Right? If our ambition in the kingdom takes the wrong place, then we'll look down our noses upon others in the kingdom who we deem to not be doing enough work, or the right kind of work, or, or whatever it may be. And I think we have to ask, well, where where does this practically play itself out in our lives? And especially for us as as a local church. And this is a big question for me that I I wrestle with. Like, what does it look like for us as a local church to have a healthy, God-honoring, kingdom-expanding level of ambition? Like, what are we allowed to do? Are we allowed to grow? Like, are we allowed to, like, get Taproot's name out there? Are we, are we allowed to do things well? Should I desire to hone in this, you know, gift of preaching? Should our music team desire to hone that in? Should you desire to, to grow more and mature in your gifting for the kingdom? Right? What, what, what should this ambition look like. And, here, and here's, here's where this is a challenge for us, is because so many of us have experienced impaired ambition in the church. Right? We, have, we have this tendency, right, as humans to see one thing that's wrong on this end of the spectrum, and then what do we do? We don't, we don't like, balance. We go all the way to the other end first. We pendulum swing. And then, and, and then we hang out over here for a little while, and we look over there, and we're like, that was all wrong and bad. And so I'm going to hang out over here. And then you become some other weird person for a while. Until eventually, by God's grace, we, we make our way back into the middle. But regardless, I, this is what we struggle with, right? We've seen the impaired ambition in the context of the local church, in the context of the kingdom, and so we don't know how are we supposed to do this. This is my own struggle, right? We planted Taproot just over, I don't know, was it eight years? I don't know. Yeah, it's closer to nine, actually, now, I think. Um, somewhere between seven and ten years, <laughs> Taproot has existed, <laughs> And one of the questions that I've always asked is like, how ambitious can we be for the kingdom? And how do we know? This last year, uh, yeah, it's been this past year and a half or so, there has been this uh, podcast uh, put together by Christianity Today. And it was narrated by a guy named Mike Cosper. And uh, it, is, it was telling a story of Mars Hill Church uh, that was based out of Seattle. So some of you are familiar with, with Mars Hill Church. Some of you are, are not, and it's okay either way. Uh, but the podcast was, it, it's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, now, this, this, this podcast, this story had a real, I mean, I don't want to like overemphasize the place that it had in my heart, but uh, I, my life was certainly touched by Mars Hill Church. Uh, if it wasn't for Mars Hill Church, I, I, I don't think I would be here. Uh, so I was really impacted by this church and this ministry, and uh, my wife was, my family. Like, it, was, it was really impactful to us and transformative to us in a number of ways. But what's, what's challenging about this story is that what it is, is it's, it's the story of the man, Mark Driscoll, who started the church and pastored it for nearly 17 years. And when we look at the story of Mars Hill Church, uh, what, what happened was really incredible. Uh, like, you can, you, we could look back on it and we can have our opinions about what was wrong and unhealthy and all that, but it doesn't change the fact that, like, it was incredible. Like, they had an Easter service at Quest Field when it was Quest Field uh, and had over 20,000 people there. Uh, they, they planted a church in the late 90s in the least church city in America. And saw, it trend, and, and saw it grow rapidly to, to well over 10,000 people and had campuses in, I think, five different states. 
Right? And again, you can have your own opinions about you know, ecclesiology and all of those kinds of things. It doesn't change the fact that it was quite remarkable and it was quite impactful on thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians. But for those of you who know the story, it is not one of a happy ending. Because ultimately what it is, is it's a story about a man whose ambition got in the way and ended up leading to the church's demise. Various things came out about Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill and the church imploded in a matter of months. And it was, it was weird. We lived there at the kind of front end of that and then moved and were planting taproot while it was all happening. It was just, it was absolutely mind-blowing to watch what was happening. Like, it, it, there, were, there were no categories for it. Right? And I'll, I'll tell you, I have mixed feelings about the podcast. Uh, on one hand, it was incredibly well done. And so it's, it's interesting, you have a, 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 a podcaster, Mike Cosper, who's incredibly ambitious and gifted and talented and uses that for the glory of God's kingdom to tell the story about another very ambitious and talented person. And so it was incredibly well done. It was an, an incredible story. All throughout, for me, there were moments of reminiscing. I mean, there's... There are moments where he was telling the story about a, an event that took place in 2007 that my wife and I were at. And so you're like, oh man, that just, that hits. Like I can still picture it. Like I have a visual of being in that space. And so there was moments of reminiscing. There were moments of anger, frustration, laughter, crying, so on and so forth. But in many ways, um, as I kind of think back through this, there are many ways in which I found the podcast to be helpful. Uh, because churches everywhere are reassessing how they do church. Right? Like, like for anyone who had any familiarity with the story, any, any impact from that church, like we're looking at things and we're like, we don't want to do that. That was bad. Let's not go that direction. Right? And, I've, and I've had that happen, not just with that story, but, but previous stories in my life as well. Where, there was, where I was a part of a local church ministry that was uh, ambitious to do things for Jesus. Uh, just looked an awful lot like doing things for other people <laughs> for selfish reasons. And so it, it was really disorienting. So it was a helpful podcast in a lot of ways to expose kind of this dark side of ambition. It was also in many ways unhelpful. Because in, in, in a lot of ways, it's unhelpfully thrown shade and called into question every pastor in every church who's trying to do anything with any sort of excellence. So, so what you have from that then is, is you have Christians everywhere who are deconstructing in nonsensical and unhealthy ways and pointing out devils where there simply are none. In other words, what's happened is there's, there's been this, this reaction, this like harsh reaction instead of a prayerful response. Another silly example is in the past year, this past year was all sorts of loads of fun, I was accused of trying to be a celebrity pastor. To which I would just say, you should go check out my social media accounts. <laughs> Tell me about my celebrity status. <laughs> See how that's going. It was comical. I mean, on, on one hand, it was comical. On the other hand, it was entirely infuriating. Because here we are, you know, we're a pretty humble little church. But at the same time, I, wanted, I want to see Taproot have a, a massive impact in our city and valley. What's allowed? And what do we, and what do, we, what do, we do? How do? we How do we go about this? Right? At the end of the podcast, they just finished it up like a couple weeks ago. In the last episode, he was playing a clip of, of Mark Driscoll from a number of years ago, and he was talking about the picture of the church as like a diamond uh, and saying that, anything, that the church that's doing anything but what she's supposed to do is just basically like a dunghill. And Cosper's comment was that what Mark didn't know is that he was the architect of his own dunghill. And so the whole picture is this is that ungodly, self-focused ambition winds up leaving others 
as was said over and over in the podcast, piled up behind the bus. It bruises people, it wounds people, it divides churches. It creates division, it creates animosity, it creates this picture that we have here in this text where you have disciples who are indignant at each other. I mean, they've been in the presence of Jesus nonstop for three years and they're arguing and bickering and pointing the finger about who's the greatest and who's going to be the greatest. And and the irony of it all is this, is Jesus teaches them, he says, you know, you're going to, you're going to carry the cup, like you're going to drink the cup, right? And they do, right? But before they do, what, what happens? They abandon him. Everyone abandons him, right? Often, ambition doesn't wind up getting us any closer to Jesus, so often, like the dark side of ambition is that so often it just takes us away from him. We get, we get so easily caught up into our own kingdoms, our own, our own ways of wanting to do things that we just miss Jesus. So how do we, how do, we do? What do, we, what do we do this with this, right? Do we just say, like, to hell with it? Humans are incapable, like we, like, we can't, we're never going to get this right. And so we just, you know, let's just wrap it up, call it quits, come Lord Jesus. No, <laughs> no. Or, or you have this other, this other stream of things. Like, again, this is the pendulum, right? Like one side is like, we just need to quit. We can't do this. We're always just messing it up. And the other side is like, well, we just need to do church differently. You know how many people have told me that we need to do church differently? To which I often just want to say, you should just, I don't know, just come and try. <laughs> really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I, I, I mean, it's this, this, this world of things of like, you know, we can't, you know, mega churches is bad and evil, and I don't, don't want that either, just so you know. Uh, you know, or it's just like big churches are bad, or we need to avoid those, and we need to do like small, like house churches or, or micro churches, but that also just sounds horrible. I listened to a podcast recently about someone who started a microchurch movement in Florida. I was like, that's the last thing in the world I ever want to do. Like, because the guy wasn't leading one church, he was leading like 95 that all had problems. I was like, that just sounds like a nightmare. No, thank you. And I'll, and I'll confess, there's so much, there's tension here. There's so much tension here. Because I make my living by the gospel. Like, I'm actually, in a lot of ways, I'm dependent on y'all. Me and the bosserts, and just the continued movement of this church. And that's not bad either. Like, there's actual, like, scriptural basis for this. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, Paul says that those who preach the gospel should make their living by the gospel. 1 Timothy 5.18 says that those who labor in preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor. Like he, he, there, there's scriptural foundation for this, right? And furthermore, I want us to grow. Like, and I, like, do we, do you, what, what do you think, Taproot? I mean, I, I know we like each other, but don't we want to, to continue to, to see this local church uh, grow and, and make disciples of Jesus. We're going to make disciples of, of Jesus, right? Is, is growth automatically a bad and hun- unhealthy thing? Right? Here, here's even just an example of how this tension works itself out. Some people are like, healthy things grow. And then the response is like, so does cancer. <sighs> so what do we do? The reorientation of ambition. The reorientation of ambition. Listen to Jesus' words. Again in verse 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That's the, the, the tyrannical picture there. 
and great and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Right? So he's, he's speaking to all of us. This is to the, the whole of his disciples. That's us. He's saying, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then the text goes on here, and, and it tells that they, they went out of Jericho, right? Verse 29. All right, so we have to picture Jesus is just, he's just journeying towards Jerusalem with his disciples. That's, he's just heading towards Jerusalem. And a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Again, I'm not sure what the tone was. It was compassionate, that's what it was. I have a hard time with that. They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So in our, in our text, Jesus reorients ambition around the cross. So if we want to understand what does kingdom ambition look like, it's reoriented around the cross. That means that the picture for us is always in some way, shape, or form, it's to take on a form of service. And in that service, it's often going to entail some form of suffering. Service and suffering is the way of the kingdom. But we do this because this is what Jesus did in our place already. Jesus came to serve, and he did so by giving his life as a ransom, the text tells us. In other words, his death was and is the means of our release from the wrath of God that we deserve. We are saved by grace through faith in his finished work. And we're called to, to, we're called to faith in who he is and what he's done. And we're called to be faithful as well as his followers. And it's this, it's this work that, that reorients the way that we then do life. It, it transforms the way that we live in everything. Right? And so it, it impacts the way that we do marriage. It impacts the way that we do singleness. It impacts the way that we do parenting. It impacts your, your day-in, day-out work, regardless of whatever, whatever that is. We, we work and we live now ambitiously in light of this reality. And it's, it's just upside down. Like, in, in so many ways, it just, it just looks so perplexing, and it just makes no sense to the world around us. It looks like we're getting trampled all over. And so it requires us to have this, this, uh, this resolve as disciples of Jesus, to, to know who we are, to know who we belong to, uh, to know that we're, we're following, we're worshiping, we're living for a resurrected king. Now, how does this practically work itself out just within the context of, of us, right? Our, our local family, right? So again, referencing back to Cosper's podcast series, The Rise and Fall, he ends and he asks this question, what, you know, what the, what's the way forward for the church? And I love his answer. You know what he says? I don't know. Which I, I guess on one hand is frustrating. It's like you, you, you took 20 episodes and like, 30 hours of my time, and you haven't given me an answer. But I think it, it, it reveals a, a, a deeper reality. Right? The truth is, when it comes to life as disciples of Jesus, when it comes to life in this community, there is no magic bullet. We have to entrust all of our ambition to God. The church is his. He doesn't need our help, and he doesn't want us to sit back as if he's some kind of genie. He calls us into something. So what does that look like? Well, just a few questions for us here. 
First off, I think we need to ask this question, what do you want? Notice Jesus asks that question, right? He asks James and John's mom, he asks Salome, what do you want? And then he also asks the blind men, what do you want? And so Jesus' question to us is, what do you want? What do you want in life? What do you want the trajectory to be? And here's the picture. The sons wanted prestige and recognition. The blind men, though, already seeing, without seeing, wanted to see Jesus even more. And they are an example of kingdom ambition. Like, they're blind. And yet their proclamation of who Jesus is is Lord. And, and notice, the crowds are trying to rebuke them and stop them. I've never tried to stop a blind man from moving forward. I think it would be really easy, though. Like, I, I know, it's, you're like, I don't know, should I laugh at that? Or like, that, I, I mean, no disrespect to people who are, you know, blind. I'm just saying they had a lot of ambition to get to Jesus. Like, they didn't, they didn't let some little crowd stop them. They wanted Jesus. And so they continually cried, Lord Jesus, son of David. Like, they're declaring him as royalty, They are placing him in the position of king, of Messiah. They see him. And they just, they they just, they they just want to see him more. And at the end of the day, that should be it. Right? Like, Like we, our desire ought to be to just want to see Jesus more. And and in seeing Jesus more. What we do is we learn to live life through the lens of his kingship over our lives. And this is the reality that shapes us, which then enables us to embrace the cup that every one of Jesus' disciples faces. Right? So you need to ask yourself that question, what do you want? What do you want? Number two, what does prayer look like? What does prayer look like? We cannot live with wise ambition if we are not prayerful. If our lives are not lives of constant directing and redirecting our attention to God, our ambitions will go sideways. They'll go elsewhere. I love what Bruner has to say about this. He says, uh, quote, Come on, it should be shifting over. There it is. When are desires to do well legitimate desires for the glory of God and the service of others? And when are desires to do well illegitimate and for one's own glory? Disciples never know exactly. I just, just hold on to that for a moment. Disciples never know exactly. They can only pray constantly to be delivered from temptation. Which I suppose on on one hand is great. On the other hand, it's frustrating. I just just want the answer. Just tell me how to know if what we're doing is off. But the picture that we actually get is just one of humble submission to the king in and through a life of prayer. Prayer. And we trust. We trust. Third, I think we need to ask, what does community look like in our lives? Uh, Community is, is, it's unquestionable. If we're living life apart from this church family, uh, we're going to make foolish decisions. That's, it's just the reality. We need, we need one another to speak into one another's lives. And sometimes it's unflattering, just so we know. 
I love, uh, I don't have this up here, but Bruner also says this. He says, quote, the church did not suppress this unflattering portrait of her leading apostles. Like, it's this picture, like, how tempting would it have been, right? If this was just a man-made invention, right, how, how much would we have left out? Who would have been like, uh, yep, Peter, James, and John, they're our leaders, and let's put this story in there, because that really just helps. Right? No, you have a, a community that's, that's willing and able to, to handle the unflattering portrait of herself. Now, I have, a, I have a really hard time, just so we're clear, this isn't, this isn't just a picture of like keeping one another in check. I have a really hard time with just like, we're gonna keep one another in check language. I don't think that we exist to keep each other in check. What's more beneficial and scriptural is a willing submission to one another. Uh, that's Ephesians 5, 21 language. The picture of the, the community, the church there in Ephesus is one of a mutual submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so it's a choice. How are we, as individuals, going to posture ourselves in the context of the local church? In other words, are we asking other people questions and allowing other people to speak into our lives? If you don't allow other people to speak into your life and you're not asking questions, you are a tyrant like the Gentiles. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this is not the way of the kingdom. Our desires, how can, we, how can we enter in and how can we serve one another in light of the sacrifice of Jesus? And so we, we need one another in this life. Uh, and then as we do this, I think that, that does wind up keeping ambition in check, so to speak. There, there is a freedom for us to, to ask one another about motives and our, what are our desires, what are we trying to build? Right. So what does community look like? Uh, three or four, I, think it's, I don't know, whatever. What does the church look like? Right. What then does the church look like? Or what, what should she look like? And here's, here's the reality. Here, here's what we need to embrace. We need to embrace that there is no perfect church. I hope you know that. And I hope you don't expect that of us. One of, my, one of my favorite quotes by Charles Spurgeon is this. He says, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Right? It's amazing how quick we can be to like point the finger at the wrong things in the church while we sit back with our arms folded, not looking at ourselves. And the invitation of the cross is always an invitation to look at ourselves in light of Jesus' sacrifice. Knowing then that we exist in an imperfect church. Now, Bruner, he also says this. He says, quote, in reference to the separation of the 10 from the two, in the disciples, he says this, the separation of 10 from two hints at the leadership struggles in even the earliest church of all. In, even when Jesus was fully around, the church was imperfect. Just hear that. Even when Jesus was fully around, the church was imperfect. I don't know, that brings me so much comfort. Because I'm like, man, Jesus has been away for 2,000 plus years. <laughs> like, he's present always. But he's not fully around as he was here with the disciples. Right? And so we embrace this reality that we are always going to take on a picture of imperfection. Right? So we don't, we don't need to, to, to sit back and be like, well, we need to look like the church in the book of Acts. Have you ever read the book of Acts? Just... That's, when people are like, we need to be like the church in Acts, I'm like, you should go read that and then come back and talk. Like, I don't think we want to be like that. Also, just so you know, all of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, do you know why he did that? Because they kept messing up. Right? 
Like, like 1 Corinthians, I love 1 Corinthians because it's like eight verses of Paul commending the church. I love you, you guys are amazing, you're filled with the spirit, you have amazing gifts, and then 15 chapters of rebuke in the first century. The, the, the scriptures, and this is what's frustrating, like, scripture doesn't give us anywhere a prescription of what this is supposed to look like. Right? It describes the movement of the church, but we don't have any like clear, prescribed, do this, then do this, then do that. One of the interesting things that I do think we see is that the early church made use of what was available to them for the sake of the gospel, Paul, Paul was an ambitious dude. I think he walked around the world. I don't know about you, but that takes a lot of ambition. There were even famous preachers in Scripture. Did you know that? You can go look it up. 2 Corinthians 8.18. Paul talks about a, a famous preacher that's known throughout the world for his preaching. So here's, here's where we're at. In Taproot, it is our aim to know Jesus and make him known. Right? That is our ambition. To know Jesus and to make him known. We want to grow. Like, I, we, we, we want to have an impact on one another's lives for the kingdom. And we want to impact the world outside of these walls. A long time ago, when we first started gathering in this building, we were having a, a pray first uh, Wednesday, and someone, we were in here praying, and someone prayed, and they had this like, picture of the walls like, falling down. That could be literal, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was just a picture of the walls falling down and like, the, 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 the downcast, the poor, the marginalized, just entering into this space. I was like, yeah, I, I, that sounds beautiful to me. We want to have that kind of impact. And I'll tell you this, we have ambitious plans as a, as a church for this next year. Uh, you have most of, I think, if you haven't picked up a bulletin, the bulletins this week have financial updates in them. Uh, you'll notice one thing, uh, there's a lot of red, like a really, really big red number. Uh, and the way that we've, we've been finalizing the budget and getting that all worked out for this next year uh, it's gonna be really big red also. Right? But that's an, that's an invitation to us. I'm not, I'm not concerned about the red number, just so you know, not yet. Um, it's just, it's an invitation to us to know that as a local church, like we, we desire together, we have ambitions to see this space used for the glory of God and his kingdom. Legitimately, like, why would we not want to see this space filled with people worshiping Jesus? Right? And how, and how silly would we be to be like, oh, we're growing. We shouldn't be growing. That's too ambitious. Like, what world is that? I don't know. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong, right? But here's the deal. The medium is the message, right? So in Taproot, we're not going to use any crazy antics to get people to stay. Right? Gonna keep preaching long sermons. <laughs> someone, someone sent me a, a text message, it was an Instagram video thing, um, of a church that was putting together a Christmas performance. And there's this massive church building, that huge sanctuary, and they had like, uh, like 10 drummers flying through the air. In, I was like, whoa, that's, man, could we do that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no desire for that. Because the medium is the message. In other words, what you get people with is what you keep people with as well. So if you're a guest, I typically preach close to or more than an hour. Right? Tabri Kids volunteer this morning was like, hey, Mike, how long do you think you're going to be? I said, 14 or so hours? I don't know. <laughs> she said, I'm just going to bring the kids up when I'm ready. I said, Okay. <laughs> We're going to keep making our way slowly through the Bible. And here's the deal, is we can either follow Jesus together in this community or not. That's okay. 
but we're eager to clumsily learn to know our king and follow him. That's our desire. Uh, And sometimes it's going to look great. Sometimes it's going to look really messy. Sometimes it's going to feel exciting. Sometimes it's going to feel depressing. Sometimes it's going to be invigorating. Sometimes it's going to be overwhelming. But this is, this is our ambition. This is our aim. Right? We are all invited to do well as citizens of the kingdom. Right? We, are, we are the church both gathered and scattered. Therefore, in light of Jesus' finished work, let's live ambitiously wherever God has placed us for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us this beautiful picture of of the cross, your sacrifice in our place, and and for the life that you invite us into. And I pray that we would be able to embrace whatever that life looks like. Uh, Help us to be, yes, we want to live ambitiously for you, our king, and for your kingdom. We desire to see many come to know and follow Jesus here. We desire to see more churches planted, uh, more people sent across the world uh, to know Jesus and to make him known. And so we pray that that we would, by your grace, be able to just be a part of that. Uh, We entrust the details of all of this to you. Or we even even entrust just where we're at as a church right now to you. Uh, And I pray that you would just stir in us just a a desire um, for us to together as one another, um, to stir one another up to love and to good works, to encourage each other towards you. Um, Yeah, that you would be glorified in our lives. So just thank you for your word. Help us to be just entirely submitted to you, our King. It's in your good name that we pray. Amen.